0: I'm Kate Daniels. If we're in good health, we might not have given much thought to our lungs. Someone with allergies or asthma or other lung issues, that's a different matter. Dr. Curlin Wolsey is a pulmonologist and is passionate about teaching people about understanding our body, our lungs in particular, to make good health a priority. Dr. Wolsey is with us today to help us have a better understanding of our lungs. Dr. Kerlin Wolsey, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today.
1: Good morning to you as well. Thanks for having me.
0: I am very grateful that we have this opportunity because of talking about health, more specifically our lung health, and we certainly have been going through a challenging time that has affected us. But before we jump into that, you, your specialty is as a pulmonologist. So would you give us... An overview of what it is the work that you do.
1: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so your pulmonologist is basically your lung doctor. We deal with all of the diseases that can affect the lung. Um, so when you think about uh, our specialty, you think about people who have asthma, for instance, it's a fairly common condition, especially here in the Northwest where we seem to have quite a bit of allergens. COPD is another common illness that we uh, tend to deal with. Uh, Some of the scarring lung injuries as well are in our purview, and we go into some other rarer types of uh, lung problems um, that can injure the lung. We also deal with lung cancers. Uh, There's a portion of our specialty that deals with exercise physiology as well. So just about anything that involves blowing hot air, we deal with
0: it. <laughs> oh. Okay. So we're we're not gonna get into like people who are buffoonish in their speech and that sort of thing. Not that kind of hot air. Not no, no not that. <laughs> not okay. not that so you were mentioning allergens here in the Northwest is Is it worse here? Is it more of a consideration for us here in the Northwest area?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Every every, um, microclimate has its own sort of profile. And for us here in the Northwest, because we have this cool, moist climate, we tend to see proliferation of mold, and that in and of itself can create these allergic-type reactions in the lung. And and so I tend to see a lot more than I did when I was in practice in Florida.
0: So is there something just generally that we should be doing because of the climate? Is it in our homes? Is it what we do when we're outdoors? Um, what would you recommend for us? What do you recommend?
1: Yeah, I would say because... Uh, our indoor environment is probably the most susceptible. That's the place that we want to focus. We want to make sure that we're doing the regular maintenance of our, our heating and air systems in our homes. Um, we want to make sure that uh, any any leaks um, that occur are abated properly so that we mitigate the risk of mold in, in, in where we live. Um, in terms of outdoors, that's, uh, that's a completely different story. The impact is a lot less because of the, the concentration of any of the mold spores. So that's not as much of a concern as, as the indoor space and the fact that we tend to spend a lot of time indoors uh, during the wet season here.
0: And so it's the wet season, but... I guess that would make sense. That's the moist time. It's not as much of a concern or consideration during the summer months typically.
1: Yeah, I would say so in general.
0: Yeah. So, this is going to kind of meld, I guess, both the the talk about COVID but the mask wearing. Have masks helped us at all in terms of being a protection for our lungs?
1: Oh, certainly uh, they have. Um, the, the lungs are, are our body's greatest exposure to the external environment uh, just because of its surface area. And um, so in general, we tend to get colds as a result. And that that tends, tends to be our primary infection. We tend to get respiratory infections. And so wearing a mask... It really provides a barrier that covers that, what is it, 50 square meter space uh, and and helps mitigate and minimize the impact of of infection.
0: Okay, so then keeping, so we have that kind of here in its corner, then talking about about what we've been living through for two years now with COVID. And we certainly have heard the news stories of about people who have had to go on respirators because of complications with COVID. But even if, if someone hasn't uh, been seriously ill, has COVID had an impact on our lungs?
1: Yes. Um, what, What we're seeing, um, and and this is obviously a developing uh, piece of uh, data set, we've been seeing limitations in lung function, even for people who've had mild COVID. Typically, a, a respiratory virus would lead to symptoms that in the convalescent period last a couple of months or two months, Uh, In terms of COVID, we've been seeing that uh, extending for a much longer time period, and it's been difficult for us to predict who has some of these effects. And what those effects typically manifest as are issues with shortness of breath, with exertion, with regular activities that um, don't necessarily respond to inhaler medications, for instance, we see changes as well in patients' lung function uh, within that typical two-month period after COVID. Um, and we're, we're still tracking to see what those trends prove in, in the long term.
0: And I really appreciate that. Uh, it, that just makes so much sense. It's all evolving. It's, it is very frustrating when people want to want a very factual response for what do I do right now? What is the situation? And understanding it's all evolving. No one really has this crystal ball to see how it's going to move forward. We, we do have to take it day by day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's the right answer. And, and being able to recognize what the data is telling us And then acting based on that is very
0: important. So given that this is evolving and and there is seeing evidence that some of the, you know, after effects are lingering, what should we be doing? Well, we mentioned wearing masks has helped uh, protect our lungs. Should we continue doing that? Is there something else we should do that is protecting our precious lungs?
1: Well, I think... The mask, as you pointed out, that's the first step, and really it is a barrier. The other is mitigating the body's response to COVID. And the best way that we have to do that right now is immunization. And I I think we're at a fortunate place now in terms of, of general immunization against COVID that it's probably gonna put the US in a different category than the rest of the world.
0: So, thankfully, we do actually in this region seem to have a very good percentage or good level of immunization, so that's been good. I'm going to mention, you know, wear masks when we might feel that we're vulnerable or going into a vulnerable space. Well, for instance, you know, as spring comes along and we're looking at more sporting events in stadiums, is it wise in that kind of a situation to wear a mask?
1: You know, I think it, it really is important for everyone to consider the individual risk. Uh, that's the first thing. And in addition to that, that individual risk assessment, also how does the impact of me getting infected affect those around me as well? And that ought to be the way that an individual guides their decision-making in that. So an outdoor space, just as we were talking about with mold, it's going to have a lower concentration of viral particles um, than an indoor space. So if we're considering sporting events and we're considering a population that's largely immunized, I think that we are in a completely different place than we were in the spring of 2020.
0: Certainly. A lot has happened in these two years, hasn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah. So for a sporting event, I think, you know, you're outdoors. I think it probably would be safe for someone who is generally healthy. I think if I were someone who had an immune compromised condition or chronic lung disease, I would be more careful about attending an outdoor sporting event.
0: hmm That sounds wise. Great. So some very basic things about understanding where we're at in terms of our health status and and taking the the, uh, natural precautions. Correct. So in terms of what we can do to then enhance our lungs, is that something that we do with exercise or are we making our lungs healthier?
1: Um, you know, uh, our lung function, uh, as with most things, peaks in our mid-20s. Yikes. Um, so that was a, a couple decades ago for me. <laughs> um, and what we, we see over time is, is that there is a natural deterioration in function, as, as with anything else. So in order to keep the lungs healthy, what we really focus on in, in my specialty is limiting injury to the lung. And so that's avoiding inhaled, inhaled irritants like cigarette smoke, for instance, or, or, or anything that isn't air or oxygen for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that allows us to preserve the lung function now you brought up a, a great point about exercise. Exercise is, um, is great for our general health because it involves the working or the interaction of a few complex systems that improve our mm-hmm. overall health. And so when, when I recommend exercise to my patients, it's and especially my chronic lung patients, it's so that we maximize the benefit from the other complex systems that are involved in exercise, so that they they move to a better place in terms of well-being.
0: So, if we've maximized our lung, hmm, what, what functionality is it in our twenties? Our lung, That's right. right? So, is does exercise in any way, help to maintain it there or close to what the optimum was at that age? <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> I wish. <laughs>
1: I wish. It, it's, it's not necessarily going to do that. Um, so when we look at, um, at aerobic work output, it really is dependent on the interaction between, let's say, the lungs, cardiovascular system, and trained muscle. And doing regular exercise allows better synergy between those systems, but it's not necessarily going to improve the lung function.
0: Okay. So it's just a given then that it, With aging, the lungs are aging, and so the capacity is aging and decreasing. Therefore, when you mentioned earlier about, you know, the inhaled irritants, such as smoking, anything other than oxygen, that's going to exacerbate or or speed up that aging.
1: That's correct. That's correct. So um, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I speak about COPD, which is smoking-related lung injury, what that does is it speeds up that rate of deterioration. And when I do an assessment of someone's lung function, my assessment actually gives them a comparison of where they are to where they ought to be in a percentage.
0: Mm that's really valuable information yeah it is
1: it helps us um, in terms of designing a treatment protocol based on on that deficit
0: so just to get clear too about these inhaled irritants we the cigarettes of course are obvious What about the um, vapors, vaping machines that a a lot of people use and mm, infuse the air around them?
1: Um, Well, I'll tell you. So vaping, it's new. And so we have limited long-term information on what it does to the lungs. If you remember before COVID, or actually in my world, before COVID, we were admitting patients to the ICU with ARDS, which is the same injury we see in COVID, following vape-associated lung injury. And um, it has the, the vape tends to have a number of chemicals which can disrupt the the membrane and functioning within the lung. And and so, while I don't know what the long-term effects of it are. I definitely think it's dangerous in the short term and and we ought to be very careful about that.
0: And it must be truly challenging for a pulmonologist, a professional like yourself, to know this, try to share the information and the the knowledge with people who just, uh, if anything, seem to perhaps be increasing the use of this in our society because there's all these fancy flavors and and the I think even the thing the vessel they use for the vaping they start making it look really uh, designer oriented and that such. So, how do you fight that? <laughs>
1: um uh i I don't know get a better marketing budget than
0: that Uh, (laughs) yes fight marketing it's,
1: it's tough it's tough because you're you're dealing with a product that um that advertises or itself or contrasts itself with with something that we know is is bad it contrasts itself with cigarette smoking yes and and it's hard to get around that because on the pulmonology side of things, we don't have a large body of data that says, for sure, this is, this is as bad as cigarette smoking, for instance. We, we can't say that definitively. But I can look at the chemical structures of it, and I can see that some of the chemicals um, are, are organic oils. Some of them are phenol-based products. And we know that those things can injure a lot.
0: Oh, I, I appreciate the frustration because there's it, it's logical, and yet um, I don't know if it's necessarily youth, but that plays into it and wanting to maybe look cool. But um, you're dealing with people who have then the lung injuries, the COPD, and their life is far from fun.
1: Yeah, that's that's a fact. Yeah, and there's there's nothing, or or, or, or let me let me correct that. I think there are a few things that are more distressing than not being able to breathe.
0: Right. Yes. If only there were some sort of an exercise, like try this, hold your breath, and think about that being the case maybe for an hour and the feelings that that would bring on, something like that to make people understand not to not to have kind of this Russian roulette with your lungs.
1: Sure. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, freedom of choice comes with... Uh, you know, being able or or necessarily having to face consequences of those choices.
0: Yes. In the area, then, when we when you were mentioning then monitoring and um, measuring lung capacity with people, evidently we can do this measurement uh, at home as well. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's correct. Um, which uh, which modality are you? are you talking about specifically?
0: Well, just thinking of someone who suffers with either asthma or COPD, although I know they're different, there's probably still this great challenge with shortness of breath. Is there thinking of measuring? Well, here's where I I don't know what the situation is. When you measure in the clinic what the capacity is, is it to understand what kind of treatment to prescribe?
1: That's correct. Um, It it is to, to determine what the treatment plan would look like for someone who has COPD, for instance. For someone who has asthma, we do have home kits called peak flow meters, and that allows the person to determine where their lung function is based on whether they've been exposed to an asthma trigger. So asthma is different than COPD in that it causes the acute reduction in lung function, but it is reversible. And, and that's where the medication management comes in. And that medication management is contingent on that person being able to recognize the level of lung function that they have or the frequency of symptoms that they're experiencing.
0: And is this a an area that keeps advancing, and improving? Are there better treatments available uh, in terms of asthma?
1: Oh, sure, sure. So, um, so last year we had an update in the uh, global uh, asthma recommendations for treatment. Uh, they made some changes to the inhaler therapies, but we've also seen um, a broadening of what we call uh, biologic therapies that help control the body's immune response that that then cascades down as asthma. So some people have, for instance, uh, certain types of white blood cells that increase or exacerbate their asthma response, and there are medications that help, injectable medications, that help control that response. And so I've had patients on many inhalers at the same time start injectable therapy, and they're down to one inhaler at a time. It's had a dramatic improvement in asthma asthma control.
0: That sounds very exciting, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Is the same in any way true for COPD? Is there something being done that can help persons afflicted with this?
1: So, un- unfortunately, COPD is a permanent lung injury. And so we don't have a way to necessarily reverse that. And that's a tough piece. That's why our efforts really ought to be honed in on prevention as much as possible.
0: Prevention?
1: Non-smoking.
0: Non-smoking. That's right. And I read on the website that you really love to educate people so they understand the illness and know what we're dealing with. So I love that. I admire that. So to help both your patients, but us who hopefully don't have to seek your services, you know, and we want to have healthy lungs. And and that would mean having good oxygen levels, good lung capacity relative to our age, of course. How do we monitor that? How do we know what is healthy?
1: That's a a very broad question. Uh, Okay. I think it, it it probably would start with understanding activity level uh, and, you know, what are you capable of doing. And so for a lot of my patients, when we talk about exercise programs, for instance, my recommendation is, is that everyone ought to be doing some sort of exercise. Now, that's not necessarily running the New York Marathon or the Ragnar, uh, but it, it does involve some form of aerobic activity that is continuous for 30 to 40 minutes, two to three times a week. And that can be as simple as walking in your neighborhood. Those things will help you understand, and when you start doing it, it will help you understand, hey, where am I? You know, I thought I could walk around the block without a problem, but I, it seemed to be that I'm struggling a bit. And that's where... Um, It it may be worthwhile for you to seek an evaluation in a pulmonary clinic where we can do more formal testing of capacities, and uh, we can then talk about uh, what needs to happen next in terms of bringing you to a level that gives you a better quality of life.
0: And that sure sounds reasonable. So relative to whatever age we may be that we're uh, dealing with this, is this something that we would do with our primary care doctor? Do we seek a professional such as yourself? But you deal with the more uh, severe situations or conditions, I would think.
1: That's correct. So so it starts with your primary doctor. And obviously, you want to be talking to a healthcare professional that knows you has has an established relationship with you, and uh, and they have that that track record of history, uh, so that they'll be able to say, oh yeah, well of course you, of course you're running a h- half marathon every six months. That's your usual. Um, that's not my usual. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just giving an extreme example. But um, yeah, I think that's where it ought to start, and. The, the primary care doctors, primary care providers are, are very attuned to, to picking up certain cues or hints from the conversation or the examination that they do and would be able to make the determination about whether someone needs to come down to my office for us to do some additional testing.
0: And if it's just a matter of a person being, say, 50 years old and, you know, finally decides to do this 30 minutes of good uh, exercise, a clipped pace of walking around the neighborhood at least three times a week, but finds that there's some breathing challenges. Um, is that something the doctor would ju- just say, you know, maybe slow down a bit, increase the pace every couple of weeks or something?
1: Yeah, it, it probably would be the case for most people. So uh, with exercise, um, and and this is something that anyone can can look up, it's open access information on the Internet about uh, training heart rate zones. So in order to monitor a training heart rate zone, you essentially need a watch, and that's pretty much it. If you're able to measure your pulse rate during exercise, you can uh, determine where your training heart rate is, and that allows you to determine the level of intensity. So if you're walking and, and you're at 80%, that's that's pretty high um, for walking. But over time, I would expect that heart rate to go down as the cardiovascular fitness improves.
0: Great. I think that that is a, a good way to, to gauge it. And then going back to what you said init- or a bit ago about our lung health, do not smoke.
1: Don't smoke. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Steer clear of people in the vicinity of, of any smoke around you.
1: Yeah, you know, don't smoke. But if you've made that choice, understand that there are significant implications to that. Being? Being a, a, certainly a loss of lung function. Oh. Uh, there's, uh, there's the implication if, if you smoke, especially cigarettes, there's a the risk of cardiac disease, all types of cancer, including lung cancer, which is the number one cancer killer. Yeah, there's there some serious things out there.
0: Yes, definitely. Good reason to make the choice not to indulge. Well, you know, you're just so fascinating to speak with, Dr. Wolsey. I uh, really appreciate your insights and your, your, your good sense of humor your approach to wanting to help us be more informed. And I certainly do appreciate your taking time with us this morning.
1: Thanks for having me on, Kate. And I hope you have a great day.
0: And you as well.